Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. It's a special day when you get to talk about welding. Because not everybody can, or I should say, not everybody has access to welding. It's, it's a bit, there's a bit of a buy-in for this particular skill set. Tom, what skill class is welding? Uh, it's, a, it's a hard seven. Class seven. Wow. That's a lucky seven. Tanda, what did you find out in your research about welding? Well, I tried to go out and research something that was a little bit uh, a little bit different. I looked for a process that maybe uh, people weren't familiar with or hadn't uh, heard of. And so I researched uh, friction stir welding, which has been around since the probably the late 90s for uh, welding. Uh, I believe we were welding fuel tanks for satellite launch vehicles. But it's a very interesting process in that basically you have, if you're creating a butt joint, you have the material almost touching and there's this tough material, little probe that goes down between the two pieces of metal and starts spinning. And it creates enough heat through friction that the metal to be welded together softens. It doesn't actually melt, it softens. So it's really more akin to forge welding. It softens and then the trailing edge of this spinning probe stirs that trailing edge of the weld together and it makes for a really a really lightweight joint because you're not adding filler material. And I came across it because a company here in Albuquerque was one of the early adopters of it. So right away, the thing, I don't know why my mind goes here. You're talking about a spinning probe that goes between two two butt joints and you're down in Arizona, the aliens are everywhere. I mean, come on, this is not that hard of a jump. This is UFO technology, isn't it? Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually in New Mexico, but you're right. You're I tried to throw you <laughs> off a little bit there, but uh, okay. Yeah, it was it was reverse engineered from alien technology. I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's this Probe story technology. of uh, TWI, which I think stands for the Weld Institute in in the UK, and uh, you know this whole backstory. But uh, yeah, you you got me. You got me. And then all of this publicity on Eclipse Aviation using it for light jets. Uh, I, you're on to me. Everyone everyone knows that it's what we use to make the hulls for the spaceships here in New Mexico. Listen, I could fabricate a backstory in my sleep. That doesn't mean anything, all right? I can get a website going. To, while we're doing the podcast, I could have one ready to go by the time we're done. That, that doesn't mean anything. This is alien technology. They're doing it while we're thinking about it. Yeah, speaking of fabricating, in fact, uh, just two shops down, I saw him wheeling out a large silver cigar-shaped uh, object just just yesterday. That uh, we'll see it. We'll see it soon. Someone will report it. They're shiny. They glit about. So a giant phallic probe is exiting the shop down. I'm I, I don't. I'm not gonna keep going with this. This is too much. Yeah, but it was a tic tac, wasn't it? It was one of those Tic Tac spaceships. It it was one of the Tic Tac spaceships. It was a green one, actually. And then, you know, someone was like, okay, okay, Fred, joke's over. Apparently he had sneaked in in the middle of the night, painted it up, actually built a big Lexan box for it with a flip-top lid. Quite an effort on Fred's part, but uh, yeah, it did. The whole Tic Tac thing went to his head. 
I know all about that particular one and uh, the green. That's that's on point. That's menthol. That's the menthol. T- that's the kind you don't want. Turns your whole mouth numb and green at the same time. And in the process, gives yourself a probe, if you know what I'm saying. I think before PJ can go any further, maybe we should uh, throw it over to uh, to Tom and see what he found on uh, on welding. But if you're interested in friction stir welding uh, seriously, uh, check it out and Eclipse Aviation here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of the first to use it. Tom? I want to talk about forge welding. The, uh, the superior form of welding, the only form of welding that anyone should do, I'm just trying to stir up controversy now and make people flip out as they listen. I got uh, introduced to a blacksmith several years ago. His name's Chris Bowman. He is the Woodbury blacksmith in Connecticut. Uh, That's the USA. And he forge welds probably every day. Now, he also has a MIG welder. But forge welding is like the... I don't know. It, it, it's not the ultimate. I think TIG welding is the ultimate. And we'll talk about that. But forge welding is just so simple. Not in execution, but in practice or however you want to say that. But I just love things that are, are ancient and being done every single day still. I always wanted to make a t-shirt with like a silhouette of a blacksmith hammer. And under it, it's just labeled welder. You could honestly label it almost anything. Because the hammer does everything. It's the welder, it's the riveter, it's the nailer, it's the everything, right? I have a video where he is forge welding strap hinges, those classic strap hinges like barn door hinges. Uh, it shows the process pretty closely. It's, it's no talking, it's just video and music. But with the right amount of heat and the right amount of force, which is actually very light, you don't want to hit it too much, otherwise you just kind of squeeze all the goodness out and it won't weld. But you can forge, you can forge stuff together with just the touch of a hammer. So your go-to move for welding is a dead art. That's that's classic, Tom. I, I dead art. Yeah, I mean it's commonly known blacksmithing is a dead art. Hey, Tanda, sidebar. Yeah. I quit. Oh, Tom, Tom, come back. I oh, can't yeah. have a sidebar all by myself. If we're gonna have oh. a sidebar, PJ oh, has right. to be out. But but you can stay. All right, I'll finish this sidebar, but then I'm done. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a dead art. It's definitely not a dead art. I see All people right. around, you know, just really excited about it. I saw a guy wearing a shirt the other day, with a with a blacksmith on it. And you know, if you want to put welder under that, I think it's just fine. I mean, his oh, had Hardy Holer under it, but. Well, I th- you pulled me back in. I think you make you made me feel so much better. Thank you. Okay. Okay. There. Oh, PJ's coming back. back. And for the last time. You can't call it. It has to be a dead art if there's a zombie blacksmith. I mean, zombies are dead. It, 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 it's, it's perfect sense, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. You're right. You're right. <clears throat> so I, I, I applaud your effort, but, you know, we're, we're talking about real welding. Real welding? That has to be MIG. It's the only welding that really uses a reel. Oh. Well, there's a couple of, of real welding methods. You know, but, you know, if you, I mean, if you want to talk about, I mean, I'll, I'll humor Tom for, for a moment, okay? The first known welding was about 2,000 years B.C. Uh, they've discovered these two gold 
small circular boxes that were welded together at some point back then, most likely using, you know, that dead art to do it. But, you know, it's been around for a long time. Like fire? Is fire the dead art you're talking no, about? No, fire is an element, Tom. I'm talking about blacksmithing. You know, oh, okay. It's, it's, I don't know why you're getting confused. Oh, sorry, <clears throat> I've been talking sorry. about it for the last 10 minutes. Continue, continue. Anyway, it, welding has been around for a long time. You know, there was welding during the Iron Age, during the Bronze Age. There's been a lot of welding. But recently, there's been more interesting developments in welding, specifically with electrical tools. In my research, when I found, I found some very interesting thing. Did you know you can weld two pieces of metal together in space by just touching them together? It's called space welding. If there is no coating on the metal and you're in space, the, what, the metal that will atomically bond together, it will weld together. The molecules just, it's called cold welding. But it's just all you do have to. The reason it doesn't work on Earth is because of the atmosphere, the metal oxidizes and it prevents welding without some other source of action. But you can research it; it's a real thing. You're not. You're not wrong. No, I'm not wrong. That's crazy. So when you said that, like I understand, like the whole like atoms are kind of passing through things. You know, when two things are touching, they're actually more connected than they might seem, and and things like that. And then I thought of like. What are those gauges called? Those gauge, or are they called gauge blocks for machinists? Mm-hmm. Where you can kind of ring them together. You like put them ninety degrees together, and then you twist them, and they basically stick together because they're so perfectly flat. But I didn't think what you were saying was possible, and I th- it looks like it might be. You you have to be careful with uh, with some of the stuff that PJ says because you can you can get yourself in trouble. Well, I immediately don't believe anything he says. That's why I went down this rabbit hole in my brain in the last two minutes. But I mean, he just said fire was an element. And I went and ordered some because I was kind of cold and I just figured it was F. And I ended up with a bunch of fluorine. About killed myself. It's all true. That Amazon 30-second delivery is, is dangerous. Yeah. I mean, you get it so quick, you can't even look it up and see that it's toxic before it arrives at your door and you're opening the box. You think there'd be a warning. You'd think, right? Somebody would have put like a flaming warning on the chart there. Anyway, did you know that the first industrial robot was a gigantic two-ton spot welder for the General Motors car company? Nope. I believe I have read about that. And it was it was a was it has the big counterbalance in the back? Just looked like a giant seesaw basically. For the most part, yeah. It was the ugliest robot I've ever seen. But yeah, two tons. And it was the commands to make this robot do the thing that it was supposed to do were stored on a large magnetic drum. This is Hmm. 1961. So, you know, they were very inventive. But that's not the coolest thing I found. Even cooler than the cold welding in space. There was an ultrasonic welding method invented for the world's first plastic-bodied car. And unfortunately, plastic cars, uh, they just didn't take off, you know. Uh, Mike got too close to the microwaves, it started deforming, all kinds of bad things. However, ultrasonic welding, people like that kind of stuff. And it's still used today. Yeah, I have a lot of customers who use it for little cases. And I used to do a lot of chip programming for a company that makes the tags for 
uh, toll roads and rail cars and so forth. And they're, you know, they try to make them as cheap as possible because they send out a lot of them and they get lost. And their little plastic case, they have bunches of ultrasonic welders just running all day long. Mm-hmm. That's cool tech. So another thing that I think, I, well, I specifically, I did not know. I don't think a lot of other people know this. More than 50% of all man-made products require welding, from cars to cell phones to laptops. Most of it is spot welding, but micro-welding is in almost all the products we use. Yeah, we have a, we have a little tiny TIG welder at our makerspace in the jewelry lab for you know making titanium rings or I guess whatever you want to make with it. But uh, it's like the tiniest little TIG welder ever. That's probably the one that I need, the, the tiniest TIG welder ever. Pocket TIG. Hmm. Seems like we come up with a better name than that, like the mini micro, the mini micro TIG. Uh, I think TIG. Miller. I think Miller already has a has the copyright on that. Do they? I, I, they're, they're not making a welder yet. They're just planning ahead. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. They're stealing yeah. my name before I can steal it. Yeah, that makes sense. They probably have, like, so many different names copywritten that you can't even think of something without them already having it. Well, duh. So the last thing I found, which was kind of unbelievable, but uh, during World War II, welding techniques ramped up to such a degree that they were having to quickly mass-produce battleships. And the fastest one constructed was in 1942... It was the SS Robert E. Perry, which I've never heard of. They constructed the entire battleship in four days, 15 hours, and 27 minutes. And that record stands today. No one has built a ship faster than that particular ship. That's insane. You would think that you couldn't get enough people in the right spot to work on, you know. They'd be, it would seem that people would be tripping over themselves to complete something that quickly. Well, I think the thing that they're not really telling you, which is kind of a TV trick, you know, when, when you look at like uh, like the Making It show and stuff like that, where it looks like they're doing everything in five hours, they're not telling you about all the prep work. They may have been able to assemble it in pretty much under five days, but all of the parts for that ship were already made. You know, it was already manufactured. They had everything there, and they just put it together in the four days and 15 hours. That's the thing. So, like, to actually manufacture all those parts that were needed probably took months. Ah, so the instructions were kind of like fit half A to half B and weld. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. They didn't really talk about that in the form that I was reading, but I read between the lines. I know, I know what's going down. You know, you can't you get... You got to go pretty far to pull one over on me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was a combination of that, and it was the smallest battleship as well. It was it was only 11 feet long. Well, there is that. Yeah, it was a crew of two and a half men. For anyone out there who served on the Perry or is aware of it, uh, you know we're making this up. I'm not making it up. You know, it was in service in the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, and it was scrapped in 1963, so you can't go visit it. But I think that was also to cover up all the mistakes made from quickly, you know, making the ship. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. 
One of these days, I'm gonna find an amazing deal and you guys are gonna be shocked. But I didn't find anything this week, but I'm sure PJ did. What did you find this week, PJ? I found a lot of things. And uh, I had to go back to my roots, you know, in this COVID era. I have not been to an auction since March. And I went on Saturday. And unfortunately, it was one of the classic, the classic auctions that I don't like, which is I went to specifically get certain things and I did not leave with a single one of the things I went to get. On top of that, everybody was paying double or triple what they should have been paying. Like I, when I went to cash out, I stood behind a guy. His bill was nine sixty nine, and for a second I'm thinking he bought something for nine dollars and sixty nine cents. Oh no, wait, he bought almost a thousand dollars worth of stuff. Yeah, there were several people like that. They paid thousands and thousands of dollars. I ended up paying more than I, I paid double what I normally would. I, I my I spent two hundred seventy dollars, which for me I normally spend a hundred to hundred and forty at an auction. I come home with a truck packed with tools, and I couldn't get. It was very hard to get a deal uh, until the very end. As a matter of fact, I only had six lots that I won in the first couple hours. And then I think I stood there for about four hours and bid on nothing because everything was going so badly. And it wasn't until the last 30 minutes that I got the other 10 lots. And that was because when I got there, there was 200 people in this backyard. It was at a house. And normally when you're at a house auction, there's about 20 to maybe 50 max, 200 people. It was packed. So it was a lot of competition. Um, the one thing that I really wanted that I didn't get was a Delta metal cutting bandsaw, which you guys have been following along, you know that I have one that needs to be restored, but this one was in pristine condition. Like I didn't, I just needed to like, you know, blow off the sawdust and it was ready to go. But I my my maximum for that was 200 bucks. It went up to 240, which was $40 too much for me. Still worth it, but not for me. At that point, it's not a deal. And uh, if I had bid 250, the guy would have gone to 260, and it just would have kept going because that was the kind of auction it was. 240 is a deal, though. I would have bought it. But see, that's the thing. I wouldn't have gotten it for 240. He was bidding against someone else, and they stopped at 240. If sure, I bid, sure. if I bid 240, it would have been. It would have gone all the way up to probably 350 or 400. Yeah, which is the full price. 400s top dollar like yeah. retail price but the point is my bidding goes on a deal cycle it's not that it wasn't worth 240 it's that it was no longer a deal and in good conscience i can't i can't do that i have to it's got to be a deal or i start to have dark thoughts have you ever been to an auction and only bought the one thing that you came for and just said well that's what i came for does that ever happen? <laughs> no, but I, I, I've never been to an auction like that, but I have gone to an auction and left with nothing. That's a bad story. I, I have gone, it's been, I've gone and it's been so bad that I couldn't get anything. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience as well, where things were just going for so much that it was like, 
I bid on a, you know, after a while, you just stop bidding because it's going to be insane. The one that I'm thinking of was out in Amish country. And while the Amish are sweet people, if you see an Amish person at an auction, you're not getting any kind of deal because they are cutthroat. They, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. I, I like I said, I, I know, have had Amish friends or Amish acquaintances, I should say. They're great people, but at auctions, they are ruthless. And the one that I'm thinking of, they were paying above retail pricing for used items. I could not get anything. And I, I remember this one little old grandma. She had to be like 400 years old, and she had a cell phone, and she was talking to someone as she was buying everything. And I'm like, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, aren't they supposed to be on like tin cans or something? I, I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> back to this auction. So the first win that I got was was kind of nice. This guy, because he had the Delta bandsaw, he had Delta bandsaw blades, Delta brand. And the first thing that came up was four brand new in the box Delta blades. Two were normal, and then two were industrial, and then one of the industrial was a Platinum Pro. And I'm guessing that means it's made of real platinum. Anyway, there was four of them. I got the four of them for 30 bucks. And you got to figure that Platinum Pro one, it's got to be like a $100 blade or something like that. It's got to be super expensive because it was, you know, it's, it's not a normal blade. It said right on there in embossed lettering, Industrial Platinum Pro. So I, I don't know. I haven't looked it up, but it seemed nice. So I got that right after that. I picked up two little Stanley block planes for 11 bucks. Uh, one was a nine and a half and one was a nine and a quarter. And the only difference was, I think it was the nine and a half had that front moving block where you could adjust the opening for, you know, however deep the blade was going, which I like that. The next one was a huge win for me. After the four brand new Delta blades, this lot came up that was a soda flat full of electrical hardware, you know, like outlets and light sockets and stuff like that, switches. But piled on top of it were so many open coiled bandsaw blades, I couldn't count them all. And I looked at it and I said, there's gotta be 20 to 30 bandsaw blades there. But I was wrong. There was 35. <laughs> now, four of them were broken when I finally got them home and looked at them. But I had assumed mistakenly that they were all used and the guy just saved them. But again, I was wrong. Only three or four of them were used. All the rest of them were brand new old stock, didn't come in a box. I think about six or seven of them were Lennox brand. They still had the tag on them. I got resaw blades. I got eighth inch. I got half inch. I got quarter inch. I got metal cutting. I got every blade known to man, and I got them all for thirty-two fifty. Fuck a blade, not bad. So, yeah, there was a guy bidding against me, and I looked him right in the eye, and I'm like, "You are never going to own this," <laughs> because I rebuild bandsaws, and a lot of the bandsaws I get don't have a blade. And I don't feel like spending $25 for a brand new blade to sell to somebody else. So it, it, this, this was the one thing. It could have gone to $100. I would have still bought it because 30-something blades is still worth $100. So, and they're all in good condition. I didn't cut myself going through them, but they are super sharp. <laughs> so I picked up another 
interesting box which just sold today. I picked up a soda flat of Brubaker taps, like tap and die. Saw those in your stories. Yeah. I'm interested. Well, they're gone. Oh. Yeah. I, well, I'm not interested then. Well, yeah. <laughs> These were kind of neat. No, those were those were a, a great set. So it's good that somebody picked them up because it had the the bottoming tap and the, you know, it had the full three sets for all of them. It looked like. Yeah, it had. There was seventeen sets, all with the three per set, and each tap was for a specific purpose, and they went to none other than Mr. Tony Rouleau of Hillview Wooden Metal. Oh well, they found a good home. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he contacted me out of the blue and said, are those taps available? And I said, well, they, they might be. So we struck a bargain. Yeah, that was a good deal. Tony sent me some stuff for my mill, and that was very nice of him. Tony's a good dude. I really had a good time at uh, his slip and slide party, not last summer, but the summer before. It's where me and Tom met for the first time in person. It is. It was a bummer we couldn't have it this year. Yeah, that's kind of stinky. Now we come to... A lot that is known as the double deal lot, which doesn't happen every auction, but when it does happen, it's kind of nice. There was a flat, a soda flat, full of machinist tools. And when I say machinist tools, I mean pretty much all Sterrett. Like the whole thing was full of Sterrett tools. There was two dial indicators. They, they, one of them was broken, needs repair, but still serviceable. There was two mechanical indicators which I had to research. Before there were dial indicators, there were these little things that looked like miniature, you know the torque wrenches that have that arrow on them? It's like a bar. Mm -hmm. There is a sterret indicator that looks like that, only really tiny. And you would ride one edge on whatever you were trying to you know, indicate, and the bar would tilt one direction or the other and indicate which, you know, how far it was going out. And uh, it's, they're very cool. It's like maybe four inches long. Anyway, maybe I'll throw a picture up on the Instagram page so people can see it. There were, there was a bunch of odds and ends in there, but the thing that I, the surprise that was the thing I'm keeping that no one will ever own but me, there was a tiny box that was the size of those flat razor blades, and it had been wrapped in tape by somebody, but you could still read the top, and it said, stare it, I believe it was shoe key clamp, I think that was what it was called. I'm, I'm trying to remember. It was something key clamp. Anyway, you open it up, and there are these two matched triangular metal blocks with a slot cut in the back and a knurled knob that fed into the slot from the back. They look like the coolest tiny clamps you've ever... I don't know how to really describe them without showing them to you. They have... It was like it had the case-hardening color from being heat-treated... It had the, the sterret stamp in the side of the triangle. I mean, they were totally pristine, looked like they'd never been used. And I was just like, oh, this was worth it. This was the <laughs> thing. You know, it was like this, this, by the way, this whole machinist flat of tools was $25. But let me get to the double deal. Inside the flat, there were two identical indicator extenders. They just call them indicators, but I'm adding the extender expression. It basically looked like a black armature, and then it had a, how do I put this? There is a silver bar that's connected in the middle of the armature, and there's like a little ball at each end. 
what you would do is if you need to measure something inside of like a tube where you can't fit a dial indicator, you would basically line the dial indicator up with the ball end on the outside, and then you would put the other end inside the tube, and that will let you indicate it without having to fit an entire indicator in there. So it's kind of like a bridge. Anyway, I had two of these. And when I won the flat, this guy comes over to me and goes, hey, all I really wanted was that indicator. You got two, would you sell me one? And I'm like, at first I'm like, no, nah, I kind of want them. But then I saw there was two and I'm like, mm, I don't know, throw me a number. And he goes, 10 bucks. And I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. So he gave me 10 bucks and I gave him one. So instead of costing $25, it only cost me 15. Should have, should have sold it for 25. Well, it's kind of like, tough you when know, they know, it's tough when they know what you paid for it. Yeah. When you're at the auction, you know, it, it it's, it's a little trickier, but again, it is the auction double deal. And I've had that happen on more than one occasion. I, I did have, uh, there was one, one place I was, I bought a bunch of lawn tools. Like a, I, it was like five or six weed whackers and a whole bunch of other stuff and mixed in with this was a stone like a bird bath and i think i might be i think i paid 15 dollars for everything and this guy came over to me he's like hey do you want the bird bath and i'm like no he goes i'll give you 10 bucks for it yeah take it 10 bucks everything cost me five dollars at that point i'm like yeah that sounds good that's great so that was the double deal now there was one other thing that well there was two things, two two things. There was more I got, but I'm only going to give you two more that really kind of made it worthwhile. One was the creme de la creme of machinist levels. I'm, of course, talking about... I did about, see that. Oh, yes. The Sterrett 6-inch machinist level. As seen on Jimmy DeResta's stories about maybe a year ago when he, Eric, and Andrew went into that junkyard and pulled it out of a bus... Ever since I saw that thing, I'm like, oh, I want one of those. And there was one at this auction. In the box, practically unused. Like, it looked pristine. A little dusty, maybe. $35. That's awesome. If you want to get it on eBay, you're looking at probably $175 to $250. My guess is, new from Starrett, it's probably three to 400 bucks. I didn't look it up, but usually, you know, if it's on eBay for that much... There's a jump for you know mm-hmm. from the company direct. And the other thing I got, which I really was happy to get, and I, I'd be kind of lusting after it just because I love magnets. There was a Sterrett magnetic base for attaching an indicator to something that is metal. Plus, it had an indicator attached to it that had a double dial. So it had the big master dial for giving you... I don't know what the measurements are at that point because there was two different dials and I'm, I'm not that versed in machining. But there was a giant dial for big measurements and then there was a little itty-bitty dial that was like, I don't know, the size of your pinky nail. And it just and so for every one rotation of the little itty-bitty dial, the big dial would move, you know, I don't know, one rot. I don't know how to explain it. Was it the other way around? Usually the big dial is like thousandths and every time around it'll the small dial will go from zero to one and then you're at point one and then the big dial is giving you the next two digits that sounds right all right 
Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. All I can tell you is that it was cool, and I wanted it, and I got it for $25. It could be a 10,000th indicator uh, if it's doing that, because that big dial, it needs to zoom in so much further, and the only way to do that is to, for one revolution of the big dial, is to then indicate, you know, a one or a two or a three on the on the tiny dial. I think it was a millionth indicator, but I, I'm not 100% on that. Even you're not that lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I'll mention is that um, there were some dollar deals right at the end that, you know, because by this time there was only like 20 people left. Most of the people had gone. That's See, that's the other thing that comes with experience. I wanted to leave so much during that four hours where I did not get anything but the one thing that I knew for certain is this guy had tons of junk, way more than the normal person. He had five snowblowers, okay? Five. I don't know why. He, and they all look brand new. Every single one of them looked like they just rolled off the showroom floor. I don't know what he was doing with them. This was not a particularly big place either. Anyway, there was a lot of stuff, and people left. And I know auctioneers. And when there's too much stuff left and not enough people, they start grouping things together. So they would put like an entire table full of stuff together and be like, okay, you're bidding on this, everything on the table. So that's where some of the deals came from. One of the things I got was a every kind of imaginable paint kit that you could think of, like a Wagner sprayer, a giant air-powered, like air-assist Wagner sprayer, a roller, a paint kit, brushes, all all this stuff that I didn't need, $1. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it for a dollar. Somebody will buy that. Then there was two flats that had gun tripods. And but like like if you're, you know, sitting somewhere waiting for a deer and you want to rest your rifle on top of it, that's what that's what I'm talking about by gun tripod. They're little. They're like 12 inches. And then an entire flat full of hilty screws and nails. One dollar, so or more you know. likely your competition shooting at a bench. <laughs> I know nothing of guns, but I suppose if a deer goes across, you're you're ready. I don't know anything about guns. I know about well, I know about paintball guns, but you don't use tripods for those. And it makes the deer really mad. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, because they can shoot better than you can. Well, when they get hit by the paintball gun. Oh, definitely, they chase. <laughs> we got to bleep that out. The last thing I'll put up is there was a, a lot of wheeled items, uh, dollies, three dollies and then a little creeper seat. And uh, you guys know about my wheel addiction, yeah, or if you don't, you do now. So I bought the little creeper and a Junk Hunter Blue dolly for $2 each. And the Junk Hunter Blue dolly, when I went to pick it up, nearly ripped my arm out. I think it's solid maple. I weighed it when I got home. It is 29 pounds, which is about four times the weight a dolly should be that's made of wood. That's the that's the highlights of, uh, of what I picked up. There was other stuff, but I don't want this segment to go on for 14 hours. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Tom, tell me about your personal history with welding. It doesn't go back that far. Only a few years when I started going to the blacksmith. I actually Googled blacksmiths after seeing, I think it was an Alex Steele video. Oh, it was the Samurai Carpenter 
when Alex Steele made him a chisel. Yeah. Or the other way around. And I wasn't really following either of those guys, but I kind of found them at the same time. And I was like, blacksmithing is cool. I don't think I realized people still did that. And I emailed this guy, Chris Bowman, and I said, hey, before I give myself a YouTube education on blacksmithing, with which there's nothing wrong with that, I said, is there any opportunity for me to come to your shop and, and do something? Uh, whether it's pay for a class or, you know, I didn't know. I just left it fairly open-ended. He said, well, I'm really busy uh, for the next two weeks. Why don't you stop in on such and such date and we'll talk. I said, great. So I did. And I had my mother watch my kids. I said, I don't know how long I'll be. I'm going to hang out and see what's up. So I spent eight hours there that day and I just made myself busy. It's a, it's a one man shop. He had a couple other guys kind of helping him out a little bit, just, um, acquaintances, buddies, that kind of a thing. And I, I did what I do. I just, I started cleaning up. It, it got me comfortable in the shop and I'm really interested to know exactly how you knew what to clean up in a blacksmith shop. That is, that is a skill all on, unto itself because everything looks like scrap metal. The entire place is just full of scrap metal. And I don't mean literal scrap metal. I mean, chisels look like scrap metal. It's so hard to know what you're looking at. Needless to say, I didn't throw anything out, but it was a couple days. I, I went there. I ended up going there like for two weeks straight and just hanging out and doing this stuff. And he started giving me little things to do. And early on, he was making a new rack to hold some short stock, like pieces under five feet or so. And it was just some quarter inch by two inch flat bar. We drilled a bunch of holes in it. And then we took some half inch round and I, he told me to heat them up and bend the tips over. So I bent like an inch of the end over and, and then he went to weld them and I said, hold on, can I do that? He's like, did you ever weld before? I went, nope. He goes, sure. So (laughs) I just jumped right in. I'm like, how hard could this be? And, uh, that is an ignorant statement, but at the same time, it really isn't hard to pull the trigger on a, on a MIG welder and just point it at the thing. It's hard to be great at it. It's hard to get really good welds, but it is not hard to do it the first time. All we were doing was backfilling them. So we'd, you know, we'd hold the round stock through the hole in the flat bar and just fill in the back. And I was like, all right, cool. So he showed me one and I did like 30 and that thing is still hanging today. None of them have fallen off. I swear. I'll take a picture for you. But that was my first experience with welding. It was something that I really wanted to experience when I first got there. Like I was like, Oh, welders, I need to, I need to figure this out. So that was my introduction. And then beyond that, I learned that blacksmiths weld, you know, conventional welding, but they're not welders. They're also, they also do fabrication, but they're not fabricators. They are still blacksmiths. It's very unique. Sidebar, Tanda, I think Tom is having an aneurysm. Don't, this is not in the show. <laughs> oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. Oh, man. Where was I now? The type of welding a blacksmith does is he'll put a bead down and then he'll grind it away and make it disappear. 
welding is not, or, or visible welding is not part of a blacksmith's product. It's something that we disappear 100% of the time, which means him nor I ever practice or ever even try to get better at welding. We're just sticking the thing together and then we're going to grind it, sand it, heat it back up to cherry red, wire wheel it, and paint it. And it's gone. That pretty much sounds like what I do with my welds. That sounds very sneaky. <laughs> yeah, it was eye-opening. It was it was really cool. So there's no pressure to weld in that shop. It's We're not making things... Now, he'll make like railings and things that need to be structural, but he's not making a house or a trailer or something that is critical to, to be welded absolutely perfectly. Now, he does plenty of forge welding, but I'll... Save that for another day. What 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 other day is that, Tom? The the day we do another welding show? Tuesday. Tu- uh, Tuesday afternoon, yes. Today is Tuesday. Oh, son of a... Uh, well, since Tom so- is avoiding my question, Tandy, you want to talk about your personal history with welding? Oh, I thought maybe you'd go second this time, but... Uh, well, you got to be quicker. If you want me to go second, you got to jump in. My, my history with welding is... Uh, well, I suppose I had this welding toy that for... I don't know, I was maybe eight or 10 years old, and I had this toy that had these little plastic welding rods. Basically, it was just a motor. It had a handle that kind of was supposed to look like a welder, but it just had a little DC motor in it and batteries. It spun this little tiny plastic rod, and then you had these little plastic girders, and you basically just held the plastic rod on there until it heated up and melted and you were plastic welding. And it didn't stick together. I ended up making things out of the girders by screwing them together and using them for other things. But I don't know if that, uh, if that really counts. Two thoughts come to mind. First of all, it sounds really like you're describing a toy drill. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Secondly, if it was not a toy drill and your dad actually gave you a toy welding set, what kind of father is encouraging a nine-year-old to weld something? Because that seems super dangerous. Like, if, uh, I, I, the first thought is, like, he's not there. You wander out into the garage. There's the welder. Oh, let me see if I can't, you know, put something together with metal and, you know, blind myself in the process. Sounds like me. I let my five-year-old play with a bandsaw. Yeah, obviously, PJ grew up in a, in a different environment than us, Tom. Because uh, yeah. you know, I do. I went out in the shop and and welded. Not not too long after that. That's awesome. That's um, exactly my point. <laughs> I'm gonna send you a video, PJ, of my five year old MIG welding. Like tomorrow, I'm gonna go out tomorrow and do it. I want to see it. I want I want evidence, photographic or video. It's got no photoshopping, Tom. I, I know I'm no, on to you. I'll do it. I'll you do could it. probably go back in my Instagram far enough to see my my friend's little boy who comes and hangs at the shop with me every once in a while welding when he was uh maybe nine and and doing a a bang up job of it as well but that was that was kind of an aside my my real welding we had one of the little lincoln tombstones and anyone who's seen one will probably recognize it by that name uh growing up in the shop and we had equipment and trailers and and so there was always welding going on. I took a welding class when I was in ninth grade, and we did gas welding and stick welding, and, and the teacher got frustrated with me because uh, I think you had to do, I think you had to do three welds and put them through the pull test successfully to get an A in the class out of this huge variety of welds. He wanted to he he wanted to just kind of like sit over in his office and read, and I wanted to learn 
every conceivable weld I could because that's what the class was for. And so I kept going and getting him because he had to come out and run the pull tester. And, you know, he was like, Hedrick, you've, you've already got an A in the class. Why do you need to do an uphill T-joint? I'm like, because this is a welding class and I want to see if it holds. And so, you know, he was, he was put out that, that I was, you know, kept, kept getting him to come and test my welds. That's frustrating when a, when a teacher doesn't want to teach. I'll tell you what, it's, it's not shocking when a kid, a nine-year-old, a five-year-old can do something like welding. What's shocking about that is that a nine-year-old or a five-year-old had the motivation to do something like welding. I mean, I can teach a kid to do a number of things that you would think only an adult would do, but to give to find the way to motivate that kid is it's almost impossible. I don't know. Welding is, you know, you've got fire and sparks and I I, I suppose some kids probably think that's scary, but plenty think that's pretty cool. You know, it's something you'd see on the movies or something and they put on this crazy helmet and you know, I, I, the few kids that I showed how to weld just took to it and, and really enjoyed it. But I've, I've welded off and on since then and played with just about every readily, you know, hobby available mode of welding through the years. Fire and sparks is what you did as a kid when you went out into the forest with your friend to burn things that you didn't want anyone else to see. I had a lot of home alone time, so I just set things on fire right there in the shop, right right in the yard, and just hoped that the neighbors didn't report back to my dad. Nice. Well, see, that's the problem. I always got caught. That's why the woods were my friend. I'll tell you a quick story about fire. I was, I was a pyro as a kid. I loved burning anything. But the problem was, when I grew up in the 80s, the only thing that was readily available was matches. Couldn't get a hold of lighters. Matches would only burn for so long. Well, one day... I, I don't know, I guess somebody threw it out of their car, but underneath one of the bushes in the front of my house, I found a box of cigarettes. And I believe they were Newports. They were green and white. So, of course, I snatched them up and hid them. And then I met my my best buddy, Dave, in the forest. And I'm like, look, man, I got cigarettes. We could light stuff on fire for hours. And <laughs> he was like, all right, yeah, man, come on, let's do it. And so, of course, I'm holding the cigarette in front of me, and I'm holding the match, and I'm trying to get it to light. And, of course, it's not lighting. And he looks at me, he goes, nah, man, you got to suck on it like a straw. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So then I popped it in my mouth, and I'm like, look, I got a cigarette, yeah, I'm like, cool. And I lit a match, and I sucked like I was sucking on a straw, like it was, you know, like a milkshake. We were using a large stone as a table. I coughed so hard, I almost knocked myself out on the table. (laughs) Incidentally, I have never smoked and he ended up becoming a chain smoker in high school. PJ, what's your personal history with welding? So when I was growing up, there were no welders. I, I, I don't mean they didn't exist. I mean, there, there was none where I lived or none that I knew of. My dad didn't have one. However, when I wanted to learn how to weld, I called Junk Hunter Prime, my father, and said, what do you know about welding? He goes, I built my whole electric car welding it together. I'm like, oh, yeah. Can you teach me about welding? He goes, I don't know that much, but sure, come on over. He had a Harbor Fruget welder, a flux core welder, probably one of the worst welders on the planet, but the most accessible welder on the planet as far as price goes. And uh, I went over and, and he set up this little station on top of the uh, radial arm saw, which, you know, 
we all know is a death trap to begin with. And he's like, here, let's weld on this. I'm like, <laughs> what? I knew zero. And I'm like, what do I do? And he gives me like the welding mask and he puts a piece of metal up there and he gives me the MIG welder and he goes, just try to make a straight line from here to here, but you're going to swirl it back and forth like a moon shape. And I'm like, okay, do I have to worry about electrocuting myself? No. Well, is there any kind of danger? Not really. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> like, I'm immediately, I'm, my, my, my alarm system is going off going, something's got to be dangerous about this. I don't know what it is, but he's not telling me everything. Anyway, I made terrible welds and he would like, you know, he's like, well, you just got to keep doing it. The more you do it, the better you get. You know, he says, he says, listen, I, I managed to weld together all of the parts for the electric truck. My dad converted a Ford Ranger into a completely electric vehicle. And he says, I did it with that welder. He says, you should be able to do anything with that welder that you need to do. And I'm like, all right. So I went home and I bought one and I did manage to weld together badly a workbench that is still standing um, you know, in my shop. Although when I put it together, I, I realized after the fact, I, I failed in one critical error. I cut all the pieces properly and they would have gone together at right angles, except that I thought it was a good idea to clamp everything together all at the same time. So imagine a six foot by two foot frame all clamped together with woodworking clamps with, with no welds. The entire thing trapezoided because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't realize it until after I'd welded every single joint. Ironically enough, <laughs> the project that I took to my father was a little end table made out of one-inch square tubing that I had wanted to build, and I wanted to do like an epoxy table type of deal. That still is not done, and it's been about six years. <laughs> I still have the pieces. They're in the dungeon. I, I would ever, like once a year, I'll take it out and like try to weld on a leg and then one of the other legs will snap off and I get frustrated and then I put it away. <laughs> so that's, that's been like the, 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 the bad side of welding. Um, the good side is I finally made some progress about maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago now. I had a, um, I picked up this AMT 14-inch bandsaw from a guy for, I think, 40 bucks. One of the problems was the upper wheel assembly was busted. And the upper wheel assembly is basically a square slotted piece of metal that slides in between the casting on the back. And it's what raises and lowers the wheel for tension. But then it also has an armature that deals with the tracking of the blade on the wheel. It's made out of this weird pot metal. It's got no carbon content. It's not magnetic. It's not aluminum. I don't know what it is, but it is complete garbage. I looked at trying to buy one of these, and the only ones you can get are Delta, which are probably the exact same one, except that they're $100 on eBay, and I was not going to pay that. So I dug into a box of steel scrap that I picked up from a machinist's auction and I fabricated my own just using whatever I had on hand, all steel, and I welded everything together. It does not look pretty, but it is probably 18 times sturdier than the pop metal version. And I created this functional part. I even welded on an, a nut so that it would have the, uh, the proper adjuster for the tracking. 
and it's waiting to be sold right now. I still have it, but yeah, that was that's the most recent welding thing. So I look at it as basically like extreme hot glue. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I do quite a bit of welding. It's probably once once a month or something. I'll have a project come through that requires some some welding. I need to take a trip down there for you to teach me about welding. Well, I'd be happy to show you what I know, although I'm not uh, I'm not certainly not a welding instructor, but uh, I've played at it for a long time. Tom looks like he's lost in deep thought. Yeah, he raised his finger and I thought he was going to say something, but I think he was just propping it under his nose so that he uh, didn't fall forward or something. Yeah. I thought he was about to agree with me that uh, blacksmithing is a dead art, but now I think he's changed his mind. Yeah, possibly. I think he was he was trying to get get us to wrap up, but I don't know. That doesn't sound like Tom. No, no, probably not. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet from Johnson's Hardware. Do you need to weld something and you don't have a welder? Well, we have the solution. Introducing welder-free thermite welding stick epoxy. That sounds as cool as it actually is. You've seen those epoxies that come in a tube where it's two different substances you have to mash together in order to get the epoxy to activate? This is the exact same thing with proprietary chemicals and thermite. That's right, breaking off just a little piece, you can mash it together and weld together anything that's metal. If it's not metal, it's not going to weld, it's just going to burn. But the point is, if you need to weld something and you don't have a welder, we have this stuff. Now, granted, you do have to sign a disclaimer if you buy it because it might melt your fingers off, but that's not the point. The point is, you can weld stuff without a welder. You don't even have to be a blacksmith. If you're interested, please come with a parent or guardian. It's only $20 a tube in 10,000 monthly payments of $9.99. I know that doesn't sound like it makes any sense, but it actually does once you sign our multi-tiered contract and speak with our lawyer. Please contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills what the heck nabbit i need to get me one of them anyone know what street patreon is on i need to go tom you look unprepared what skill goes well with welding (laughs) i literally just said oh i don't have one (laughs) Uh, i don't know I think you do know. I think you're holding out on us, and you're just pretending that you don't know. I'm going to use yours. Design. No, fabricating. Is fabricating a skill, though, or is that too broad? I think fabrication is definitely a skill. I'd go. And then we're going with a solid fabrication for for crossbreeding. Give us an example, Tom. What would you fabricate with welding? Well, metal, clearly. <laughs> no, I, I mean, as 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 far away as welding seems to a lot of people metal welding is probably the most accessible version of welding you know plastic welding or ultrasonic welding or all those things take a lot a lot more machinery and and things like that but metal fabrication and welding i mean that's really what it is they're almost synonymous they uh it's it's amazing how easy it is to fabricate with a welder like you said it's 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 a hot glue gun for metal. You just stick it together. There's no joinery necessary. It's not woodworking or even blacksmithing with actual joinery. You're just shoving two pieces together, tacking them together, and then filling it in. 
Pretty much. And now that I think about it, I think almost all welding, as far as metal welding goes, they're all butt joints. Are we really going back to the UFO? (laughs) Oh, no. They're all kinds of... Well, I didn't want to tell you guys, but I was abducted when I was small, and it's never (laughs) quite left me. It's never quite left me. You can take the alien out of the... No, I don't know that. Oh, they bring back more memories, Tom. (laughs) Oh, the last thing you want to do is take an alien out of his PJs. Oh, Probe. my God. Tanda, would you tell me about your, what, what, uh, yeah, where were we? Yeah, crossbreeding. Yeah. What, what, uh, what skill goes well with welding there, Tanda? I would have to say fixturing goes with welding because I grew up welding in my dad's shop and we had just kind of the bare minimum, maybe a few pipe clamps, no dedicated welding table. In fact, I still have my dad's Black & Decker workmate which has maybe 50% of the wood on the top. The rest is charred away and, you know, has holes in it that he used for, as you know, to hold up things he was welding. There was only like two square feet of wood to begin with. Where did it all go? Up in smoke, literally. We welded on the, you know, down on the floor of the shop where we were working on a piece of equipment or a trailer or something. So it was much later before I discovered the wonders of having a dedicated welding table and some fixturing and squares and clamps and things that don't catch on fire it makes a world of difference to be able to fixture something, tack it up and, and end up with something that's straight and square. And, you know, it just makes such a difference compared to just kind of, you know, building on the fly and trying to keep things square. And, you know, even, even as late as, Three or four years ago, I welded infrequently enough that I would be out there with a framing square and trying to clamp a framing square to a piece of metal and hold everything square and straight. Having a, a dedicated table for welding and some fixturing is is definitely a, it changes your welding game. Am I understanding this correctly? You're welding lighting fixtures? I've uh, made a lot of lighting fixtures uh, working with a company uh, that's here local, but most of that was machining work. It's a lot of brass, stainless, and aluminum fixtures, but it's almost, it's in t- there's no welding involved. It's all machining, and then they put together the fixtures, you know, with screws and, and press fit. Then I don't think I understand the fixturing aspect of this, that where it, the welding comes in. It's, you, you just said you machined everything. Uh, I think I can answer that. Yeah, you're thinking of a light machine in, in, instead of a light fixture. Is, is that like a light body, like when you die? No, that's like a light, that's like a dark body when you're setting emissivity. Mm. Completely separate things. I feel like we're, there's a dark matter joke in here somewhere, but I can't quite put it, a finger on it. Don't want to put a finger on a dark matter, <laughs> oh, especially if your finger, finger is... <laughs> You know, I, I could keep a straight face if it wasn't for Tom. But, uh, you know, when Tom starts laughing enough that he drops out of frame. I'll just turn off my camera. Then it uh, it makes it hard for me to stay stay composed. Tom just can't hold his laughs. He's a lightweight. <laughs> nope. I laugh at my own jokes. It's fun to laugh. You should do it. I don't know what you're talking about, Tom. <laughs> me personally, when I think about welding and crossbreeding, I immediately go to repair as the skill of choice because if you're able to weld, you can fix a lot of things that break that otherwise could not be fixed, that can't be fixed with a a screw and a nut and bolt or 
there, there's several instances where the only option is welding or getting a new part. And uh, I've made, you know, sort of a career out of repairing things. And uh, like I said earlier, I made this part to repair this bandsaw so that I could sell it. And I made it out of scrap so it didn't cost me anything. I already had the welder, even though it was a bad welder. It still did the job. So we're going to go with repair. I like it. I accept. Yeah, I think it's interesting that most of my early welding was all repair. My, you know, in the last few years, I've repaired very few things with welding. It's mostly been building something, something new. A, a guy came by with a, a part off of a trailer a while back that I, that had, had ripped into and I put it back together and welded it up for him. And that was the first repair I've done in ages. It's time to talk about new skill sets. That's what all the cool kids are doing. Since we're talking about welding, a new skill that I would actually love to learn is TIG welding. The MIG welder I have, while functional, is, in my opinion, not for me. I have been soldering for almost as long as I've been alive. Pretty much got a soldering gun while I was still in the crib. And it seems to me like TIG welding is the soldering equivalent and I would really love to learn that it seems like you can do such fine detailed work you can isolate everything you have more control over the power I like options I'm just an options guy but I I, I there's a high as far as I can tell there's a high buy-in for TIG by comparison because there's so much more equipment and supplies that go with it compared to say flux core MIG that's that's definitely true. I mean, you can get in much cheaper today than you could have, you know, even five or seven years ago. There's some decent TIG welders out there, but you're going to have to get, uh, you know, a bottle of welding gas. You're going to have to have some other things to go along with it. So it, there is a little higher buy-in, definitely. I also want to get into TIG. I think it's I think it's the most impressive, you know, other than forge welding. But we already covered that topic. But to be able to weld things tiny things i mean you can weld soda cans together not that that's high on my priority list but to have that kind of control or even just welding thin wire together it's just something you can't do any other way welding aluminum aluminum stainless anything yeah well you can you can weld aluminum with mig yeah i kind of was backwards in how i acquired my welding equipment because a lot of people start off with a MIG of some kind, whether it's flux core or actual shielded MIG. And that was the last welder I bought was a MIG welder. And the last that I learned, I started out with gas welding, just oxycetylene welding, and then went to stick welding. And then when I could afford it, I wanted to learn TIG and I had, a, you know, some aluminum frames and stuff that I wanted to weld. So then I got a, a TIG and stick combination welder and then the last welder that i bought and had never mig welded before i bought the last welder was uh, was mig welding and so that was it was odd that what's often considered the easiest process was the last welder i bought and the last process i learned hmm. so for you the next move would be like um ultrasonic welding i think that the next welder i would might buy in this you know kind of I don't know if it counts or not, but it would be, uh, I guess it does. It would be a little spot welder. Oh, yeah, yeah. For for making battery packs and, yeah. and welding, you know, small things together. Um, and or a, just a, a cheap spot welder, like Harbor Freight type, 
spot welder for just doing sheet metal fab? You know, thinking about it that way, I think that the spot welder has to be the most simple welder out of all of them. I mean, there's there's nothing. It's just like a claw. You just clamp it down on something and then it just welds. I mean, there's no trick to it. Are you guys familiar with the channel Stuff Made Here? Sounds familiar. So you should check it out if you're not. He doesn't have a whole lot of videos, but they're super super high quality and he does a lot of plasma cut sheet metal stuff and and spot welds it together it's good stuff it's a good channel to follow oh yeah but uh, yeah i think that if you can just you know apply pressure i mean dialing it in for a particular thickness and and you know the settings but once you have the settings dialed in it's kind of a rinse and repeat maybe that'll be the next welder i get but i'm kind of immersed right now in work at work spot welding little tiny tabs onto little tiny cells. Do you have a micro spot welder? I uh, have very expensive spot welders for spot welding solar cells together into strings for spacecraft. How big is it? How small? Yeah, <laughs> how small, how big? Give us give us some, some, some stats. The box is probably, uh, you know, like the size of like a, a Lincoln um, 210 or something, the actual power supply. But the welding head is tiny like on the order of the spots are maybe a millimeter wow. across two spots that the weld is flowing through so really tiny wow that is the thing i'm picturing in my head is the one that i've seen from harbor fruget which is basically an all-inclusive unit it's just like a box with the claws coming out of it and like a lever so what you have is a way more advanced setup but what does the actual like the tips how does that translate? Is it just like a handle with a claw at the end? It's Yeah, it's not actually a claw. So it's two, two probe tips on the same side of the material. And so when you're spot welding, you kind of have two options. Either you're spot welding a material that's got high resistance and you attach your probes to it, either top and bottom or side by side. And as the electricity flows from point to point it heats up and melts the metal because the resistance of the metal is high in our case the resistance of the metal is very very low and so the tips themselves have a high resistance and so as you flow the current through the you know the silvered backing metal the probes were also low resistance you just have a circuit you know you'd blow the circuit breaker or something so in our case the tips themselves are a much higher resistance and so the ends of the tips heat up right where they're in contact with the with the metal one or the other has to build this high resistance to create the heat i'm look i'm all down for the resistance because you know i don't like the empire at all and i think that leia is a great general but back to the welding are you are you trying let me see if i understand this correctly you've got like let's say two pieces of metal on top of one another and you're saying that you can put the probes side by side not on top and bottom and it will still weld the two pieces together? Yeah. You put them side by side and you press down with enough force that as the metal heats up and as the metal presses down on the metal below it and heats up, you make a weld nugget between the, the two pieces of metal. Mm, weld nuggets. Pressing from the same side. Uh-oh. Looks like Tom's gone to the fridge for some weld nuggets. You know, it, who makes those weld nuggets? Because now I'm hungry too. Is that is, is that a Burger King thing? I don't, I don't know who. I, it sounds terrible for you, but I totally want one right now. Yeah, I think that you uh, you can get those uh, Jody's online store. I think you can get them. You, you can eat them with a TIG finger. Keep your fingers from getting all greasy. Sharpen the tip first. Jody's weld nuggets. Yeah. 
Is is that a Stouffer's brand? Uh, you know, I think it's one of those brands that Stouffer's may own, but you don't know that. Right. You know, it's kind of hidden behind all the branding. Like Marie Callender. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So, so what? What? Only no pies. Damn, man. Why no? Tom, we're gonna have to talk about the pies later. So, what? what what's the maximum thickness? for this type of spot welding that you're talking about with these two probes? I don't know what the maximum thickness is. We're talking down in a few few microns thickness so of what we're doing. So, But I don't know how, how thick you could go. I would assume that if you had enough pressure that you could heat the top metal and the bottom enough to force them together. You're welding in microns. Well, I mean, you can weld in your garage in microns. It's just a lot more microns. It's kind of like everywhere is walking distance if you have the time. <laughs> I weld in macrons that, you know, that's the next size up for macaroons, but I'm more interested in the probes because the aliens did bad things to me. But, but you know, let's talk about the welding again. So is there a larger version of the setup you're talking about for more practical use other than ultra tiny microscopic welding? Like something that I would actually use in my shop. Yeah, I think that it's the same thing that they would weld tabs on, you know, like if you're putting together a battery pack and you're welding tabs on. Same sort of thing, and that's scaled up a bit more. Tom, you can't just make a hand signal and then not say anything. Yeah, doing um, spot welding battery packs, it's like two prongs. And, I mean, it's very thin metal. I don't know how thin, but it's like sheet, not sheet metal. That's not a good description. Uh, Thicker than tinfoil. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, kind of what you're doing when you're forge welding, right? I mean, you have the two hot pieces of metal and you are forcing the interface between the two together such that it welds. The only difference is you're heating up that interface with electricity. That's what the aliens did. They forced the interface and, yes. (laughs) Yeah, if you look up battery spot welders, it's two little prongs side by side that uh, give you the result. How much do those cost, Tom? Uh, uh, at least a hundred bucks, probably for a cheap Chinese one. The one from Harbor Freight that you're thinking of that has like the two prongs, that's for like doing sheet metal mm-hmm. for, you know, going on either side and heating that up. But a, a small spot welder for battery packs and things, uh, it looks like a box with two little prongs sticking out like an inch or two and you just hold the battery pack up to it. Or you can buy one with like a handle on a wire, kind of like a soldering iron, only it's a spot welder. They need to call that like a vampire welder. That that The marketing for these things is not very good. That's a good name. I find this totally fascinating, and at the same time, I have zero use for any of these. I, I can't think of a single thing that I would spot weld. It's been on my list for a long time, especially for battery packs. It's just a, you really can't make you can't make custom batteries without one. You can yeah, I mean you can solder battery packs. It's just yeah. not it's as not efficient. The same. Yeah. Not as efficient. I could solder all day long. You know, the last time I was big into soldering battery packs as far as like I was down a rabbit hole was when Tesla came out with those power walls and people started making their own and there were several channels that were talking about how to make your own power wall for next to nothing by comparison. I was, I, I can't even tell you how many weeks I was looking at this going, oh, I totally need one of these to power the, wait a minute, I've got house electricity. What the hell do I need this for? <laughs> yeah, no, there's still a lot of people doing that using the, what is it, the 18650 batteries, reclaiming them mm-hmm. from laptops and, yep. and building power walls and cars and vans and all kinds of 
fun stuff out of them, but there's a lot of upfront sorting and, and grading of the batteries and everything to try to get it together. I have a friend who buys old Prius cars and, and I've done a couple battery packs, um, for him, just ferreting out which cells are bad and replacing the cells and stuff. And you can spend a lot of time reconditioning and trying to find and sort and bin batteries. And so when I look at those videos and they're like just putting the finished batteries together into the packs and then they're driving off in their electric vehicle or they have their power wall, I think, oh my, they probably spent four months just sorting and cycling batteries to, to, put them together into packs that are balanced. They're so expensive, too. Remind me to tell you guys the electric battery story after we're done recording. I can't do it on air because it might get somebody in trouble. I, I want to hear about your your dad's electric truck. I've wanted to do that for years with an, an S10 and and make the adapter and, and build my own electric vehicle. And I looked for donor vehicles for a long time, and things never, never quite came together where I had a, a suitable donor vehicle that was worthless enough to, you know, sell the engine off and and time to convert it. Well, the thing I can tell you is once you got it built, it ran great for about three years and then all the batteries died and he did not have enough money to buy more batteries. <laughs> so it's been sitting there ever since. Was it just lead acid batteries? I honestly don't know. I don't know what kind of batteries he has in there. All I know is that yeah, he doesn't. He he just never bought new ones, and that was the only problem. All the electronics and everything else is perfectly in good working order. A lot of the stuff he got from California, because there's they're big car people out there as far as electric cars go. To my understanding, unless there was aliens involved, he just needs more batteries. But yeah, he would go to um, electric car, like he would take the electric car to car shows. He taught a course at the local community college on how to electric cars. And he was actually listed in New Jersey as the contact if you were trying to make an electric car, like everywhere pointed to my father. Yeah. No, I've, I, I may have run across something he's done because I had quite a fascination with that through the years and, and researched it a lot and just never quite, uh, quite tipped over the, the edge of starting the project. Mm, I'm sure you want to try out that new skill set. I know I do. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, any final thoughts? I'm going to go immediately look up space welding. There has to be a good video on that, right? There's got to be a video of us of them doing it on camera. Technically, it's called cold welding. Yeah, but I googled space welding when you were talking about it and it came up, so I'll find it. Actually, Veritasium did a video on it apparently, so that should be very thorough. Yeah, he's been to space several times. I think we're talking about different people. Quantum, quantum space. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to throw out there if anyone is is looking to get into TIG welding that I haven't had any any problems with my little TIG welder. I have the Alpha TIG 200, and I think it's an AXP, and it it's worked well for stick and TIG welding, and it wasn't, uh, you know, super expensive as TIG welders go, and it was a it was a good little welder. Or is a good little welder. It's still sitting across the room. I feel like it just died and then was resurrected. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I can't see it, so it may or may not be there. An ethereal welder. That's next level stuff right there. I don't know. For some reason, my final thoughts revolve around 
If anyone out there has been abducted by aliens and needs help, please contact me. I have resources. I don't know if they're helpful resources, but they're, they're a direction to go in that'll probably lead you nowhere. And as PJ mentioned, if anyone's looking to be abducted by aliens, uh, New Mexico's your place to be. Not endorsed by this podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. I'm sick and tired of all this bullpocket. It's time to rant. And, and I don't know about Tanda, but Tom, I know you and I got a gripe. A little bit. We need to discuss. Yeah. A little bit. You want to go first? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go first. I'll set it up. So I ordered an iPhone 12 for my wife. I am personally waiting for the iPhone 12 Pro Max something. I don't know. The other one, the bigger one. And during their keynote, they talked about not including a charging block. Now, I'm not upset that they're not including a charging block. What I find irritating is why they're not including a charging block. And it's for the environment. Now, I am I am all about protecting the environment. I, I understand the premise that they have been putting these things in their iPhone boxes for 12 years and everyone has them. I'm good with that. Except, for one, it is no longer the same USB charging block. The cable that they include is USB-C and any iPhone user that has been using an iPhone for the last 12 freaking years has never seen USB-C and owns zero USB-C cords or cables or plugs or whatever, with obviously some exception. The other thing is, they decided to get rid of the charging block and the headphone jack, or the headphones, and I understand the headphones. My last several pairs I never used. I have AirPods and I think wireless wireless earphone earpods ear what what are they called earbuds AirPods earbuds buds wireless earbuds are the way to go. I think they're incredible actually, even though I'm using wired ones right now. But th- what they did include was their stupid plastic Apple sticker and their chunky thick box wrapped in plastic. I just if you're gonna go in. Like, give us some recycled cardboard for the box and, and like, go all in. My point is that it's disingenuous. That's not why they did it. They did it for cost savings, and that's fine, too. Just don't put it under some veil of saving the environment because you're not. You release a phone every year, and everyone upgrades at least every other year. I concur, but that is not my gripe. My gripe is... First off, I don't have a problem with the missing charging block, and I don't have a problem with the missing earbuds. My problem is they've removed these things from the packaging in order to save money, in order to help the environment. Where is my financial saving? The price did not go down at all. So they're saving money, and we're still paying full price. 
so they're actually making more money off of us. I want a discount. I think we deserve a discount. If they're saving money, we should be saving money. I mean, that's kind of like the definition of a bonus, a benefit. Everybody's supposed to benefit, not just them. Is anybody with me on this? I am with you, but I think that is more easily dismissed because they do release a new phone every year and it has, for the most part, remained the same price. Now they've come out with different models and they're stacking models to increase their prices. So I'm not, I'm not against you there. I think the whole thing is just disingenuous and they should just tell the truth. The thing that I've run into lately, and, and, and I guess, you know, it's kind of uh, odd to be uh, to be complaining about uh, owning Apple products and when they are the, one of the most expensive phones out there and complaining about it. But the uh, I've been trying to do audio with my iPhone recently, and my iPhone is new enough that it has the lightning connector. And again, that was to save space, to make it thinner was you know, what they put out there as the reason why they've they've wanted to shrink down the connector. And, you know, a 3.5 millimeter connector is, you know, drives the thickness of the phone up. Well, I don't think their phones have gotten any thicker. If anything, their phones, since the introduction of the lightning port, have have become bigger in all dimensions. It's kind of annoying when you have to split out from the lightning port to audio or to a microphone or to both and then you have two or three adapters hanging off of it and if you've had headphones in the past or any other audio gear then you need something with a specific lightning port on it and so that's been my recent annoyance with my with my iPhone I would like to clarify something I have no gripe against the actual product I love the iPhone I have had good experiences with the iPhone and bad experiences, just like every product on the planet. None of them are perfect. However, I do take issue with not necessarily Apple, but the phone companies. They don't want to give you a discount unless you trade in your old phone. Let me tell you something. I paid over $1,000 for the last couple cell phones. I'm not trading it in for 200 bucks off. Not doing it. I own that phone, okay? That is now a high-definition camera that lives in my shop that I paid for. You want my phone? You got to pay me at least 50% for it. Not 200 bucks. You got to give me at least five, six, you know? I don't I don't believe in trading in iPhones. I have every iPhone I've ever purchased, including the first one, with the exception of my iPhone 4, which was stolen in France. But all the other ones, I have a 5, a 6, a 10, and now a 12 Pro, plus my original iPhone which still works with the exception of the cellular, which stopped working probably because I was near the ocean and it got corroded. Probably best that uh, we're like four episodes in doing this and, and it wasn't in our trailer that had to be reviewed by Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, the, the products are rock solid. I've, I've had, I think, three iPhones now. And the only reason I've upgraded is for, you know, just to have a few more features that I would like. But I've never had an iPhone, you know, just die on me. Um, I mean, they've, they've had a long life. It's interesting you should say that, Danda, because my iPhone 10 that I had taken very good care of suddenly died on me after about eight months of use. I plugged it in one day, and when I woke up the next day, it would not turn on. And I called Apple. They said, you got to come in. I brought it in, they plugged it in, it wouldn't turn on for them, and they're like, oh, 
you're getting a new phone today. <laughs> I mean, my last my last iPhone, I mean the screen the screen went out. I mean, I guess it did. The hardware did eventually fail after a long a fairly long life, but it was an iPhone 5 and I drug it all over the world literally with me. But it was something I could have had I taken that route, I could have got the screen repaired for 40 bucks or something. I wouldn't have had to buy a new phone. Well, I had the reason that I upgraded, I had, I had, like I said, I had a 10. I'd had it for two and a half years. And the reason I got the 12 Pro is two-pronged. One, my phone was full. I had used up all 256 gigabytes, and I'd been offloading stuff to make room. So that, and then the battery was not lasting all day anymore. It just, I had to keep plugging it in. I'd be halfway through the day, and it'd be down to like 30%. And I need a phone that I can rely on the entire day without having to plug in in case... I'm not near a plug. So those two things forced me to upgrade. And I mean, I'm not, you know, it, it, I use it every day. It's the most used thing I have. And, you know, it's, it's just time for an upgrade. Yeah, that's, you know, it's odd that most people that upgrade or certainly probably the most prevalent reason for upgrading is battery life diminishing. And the few iPhones I've had, I don't know if it's just my habit of how I charge them or, or what it is, but... I have never had a problem with a phone dying in the middle of the day. And I use my phone quite a lot, I think. I mean, I'm sure there are people who use it more. And my daughters have had iPhones that have died midday. If my phone ever dies, it's because I've just pulled an all-nighter and it's been, you know, it's I'm going on 48 hours without sleep. And that's usually when I plug it into charge is when I go to bed. So the only time I've ever had a phone die is if I if I'm about to die myself. Well, the other thing is if you are traveling, if you're not in a metropolitan area, it takes more power for the phone to connect and it will drain your battery faster. Is that still true with I mean, I mean certainly in the days of roaming and and switching over to analog mode and all it took it took more, but do you find that to be true today? Yes. Absolutely. If if I am on the road, like let's say I'm taking a trip to go pick up something, you know, I got some kind of deal somewhere and I'm using uh, GPS to get me there. If I do not have the phone plugged into a car charger, it will drain the battery. Like the, I could watch it go down. It will drain because you're going, you're jumping from one tower to the next. It takes more power for the phone to connect because you're moving at speed. That's not the same thing as sitting in one space using Wi-Fi that's readily accessible. Cellular power takes more and it drains quicker. So it, it, it definitely makes a big difference. Even with all the upgrades and everything, it still consumes power. Yeah. Well, the GPS in that scenario is, is drawing a lot, of, a lot of power. And certainly if you're using cellular, whether you're mobile or not, versus Wi-Fi, then that's going to make a difference. Any final angry thoughts, Tom? Yeah. I, uh, I can't stand Apple, and I can't wait to get my new iPhone. <laughs> I can sit down with Apple. That's the consensus. <laughs> It's like, I'm a Yankee fan. They're terrible. <laughs> I think that is the consensus. Mm-hmm.